Welcome to Kick a Roundtable. I am your host, Michael McRae, with me, editor Niels Christensen. Hi, Niels. Hello. Happy weekend. Happy Friday. Kick a correspondent, Paul Harris. Good afternoon. And our special guest is John Thomas Steen, associate professor at the University of British Columbia's Mining School. I'm delighted to have you, John. You are multidisciplinarian. You have long experience at EY helping companies with innovation and strategy. And you also have been very forward-looking regarding EV metals. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to mining, John? Yeah, it's a, well, it's a long story, but um, yeah, growing up as a kid in Tasmania, which is one of the, the, the cradles of um, geology and research, I, I think I got a, a geologist pick for my birthday as a 10-year-old. I was a very strange child. Um, I, then I moved to Queensland a bit later on in my career, and uh, you can't be in Queensland without uh, running into the mining industry somewhere, so uh, it just sucked me in, and that was during the big growth phase in the China boom, and uh, I came to uh, British Columbia, Vancouver in 2017 and thought, oh, gee, this is pretty good and it's full of Australians. Um, so it's got to be a good, pretty good place to be. So I moved here, but it's been a wonderful opportunity to be here in Canada. And uh, you know, it's, it's a great mining scene and I'm having a great time here. Terrific. Uh, we want to get into uh, some of your insights uh, regarding uh, EV metals. Uh, but first, we always start with gold. Uh, Niels, it looks like gold is still waiting for stimulus. No. Oh. It's I, I, I napped through the week. Um, gold does like does absolutely nothing. Goes to 1930, falls back below 1900. Um, and yeah, it is. It's waiting for stimulus and it's on again, off again. So, you know, one minute gold is up, next minute gold's down. It's just, but guys that I'm talking to, I mean, it's really at this point, it's just ridiculous. Um, stimulus is not coming until after the election. Like they, They've blown through so many deadlines that the fact that we're still talking about it is, is just weird. Like, you know, let's get through the election now. I'm, I will be reprising uh, uh, my interview with uh, Peter Hug at uh, this, the end of uh, this, um, at the end of this podcast. Uh, interesting from Peter is that uh, he says that stimulus happens no matter which way the chips fall, if it's purely Republican or if it's purely Democrat, uh, just because there's so many people that are screaming for stimulus right now and again, bullish for gold. Yeah, exactly. I think that's, and I think that's it. You know, we wait until where the chips fall after the election and we see uh, who, who's going to do the stimulus and, and really, uh, guys that I've talked to is the stimulus is coming. It's just, you know, where does the money go? Democrats probably going to put more into, um, main street and, uh, Republicans, maybe more to, uh, uh, wall street and businesses and, you know, maybe, maybe not as much stimulus, but maybe more tax cuts, things like that. So, I mean, but, Ultimately, and this is going to tie into my number at the end of the show, but ultimately, um, the environment is just is bullish for gold. You can't, there's no way that you can um, get away from higher gold prices, I think, at this point. Let's uh, switch uh, to uh, junior news. Uh, you uh, had, uh, there was two feasibility studies uh, this week uh, that piqued your attention, Paul. Yes, um, the first one, a gold one, uh, Bateman North Gold uh, announced the feasibility um, for, sorry, Battle North Gold announced the feasibility for their Bateman project in Ontario, and that's the former Rubicon Minerals. So it's good to see them sort of um, coming forward with a positive feasibility study, a 50.3% IRR, 74,000 ounce a year production. And then uh, more in my neck of the woods in South America, 
uh, Jose Maria Resources announced the feasibility for its uh, Jose Maria Copper Gold Silver project in San Juan, Argentina. That's a, a $3 billion project um, sponsored or, or supported by the Landine family. Um, that will produce uh, 136,000 tons a year of copper, 230,000 ounces uh, of gold and 1.2 million ounces of silver for an estimated sort of 19 years. Now, uh, speaking of advancing these uh, projects, obviously uh, financing is important, uh, but uh, you were on a financing panel this week and despite uh, gold hitting a production wall, uh, you said that the retail investor is still elusive. Yes, um, I, I was on a panel at the SME Thrive event and um, one of the, the topics of discussion or one of the things that became evident during the discussion was that uh, whilst this year has seen an an uptick in um, fundraising, equity fundraising for, for gold companies, um, still below sort of more historical levels. But um, the feeling was that that's not new capital coming in. It's, it's existing players recycling equity, selling out of things they've made money on. The classic example of that is Eric Sprodden, all the money he's made on Kirkland Lake, and then recycling it back into other companies. And so the message really was there isn't new capital coming into the sector yet. Let's uh, switch to mining. Uh, I did uh, notice uh, that uh, we are in the middle of quarterly season right now. Uh, the one that stuck out to my mind was nickel, just because nickel seems to be the top of everybody's mind. Uh, the world's uh, largest producer of nickel, and that's Nornickel Group in Russia, announced consolidated nickel production increase of 8% quarter-on-quarter and 5.1% year-on-year, thanks to the ramp up its COLA MMC operations. Valet's nickel production dropped 20% in the last quarter, but the company said the drop was due to COVID-19 and maintenance work. The company expects nickel output to improve due to production enhancements. Uh, the nickel pressure does look bright. Uh, demand from EV makers is expected to propel the metal. Tesla has been holding talks with many of the major nickel producers. Uh, the largest producer of batteries to Chinese auto manufacturers, that's CATL, sees demand for nickel spiking in 2021. John, uh, what's the impact going to be uh, from this production of EVs and uh, the coming, uh, the coming, the coming crunch for metals? Yeah, I think um, now the EV story. We've known it; it's, it's been there for a while, but I think it sometimes takes us a long time to really take it seriously. So, you know, you have some trigger events like uh, Elon Musk's Battery Day, where he starts you know, devoting a whole, hell of a lot of time to talking about nickel and mining um so that this manufacturing and mining are now converging as two very interdependent sectors um really we're not ready for the uh, the demand uh, that's going to come uh, from from uh, battery production uh and it's going to hit us in a whole range of areas nickel's an interesting one because nickel is uh what provides the batteries with um, energy density uh, we can just probably design out cobalt, um, but we can't design nickel out. So I think everyone's getting onto this and understanding how important nickel will be. The other thing that's really interesting is, um, if you like, uh, miners are coming into the car showrooms. Um, the, you know, the, 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 the car manufacturers want to be able to say to the customers who buy these nice shiny cars, um, they say, look, our nickel comes from, a best, from the best sources. You know, it's ethically produced. It has a low carbon footprint. So there's some really interesting things happen. You know, we're decommodifying the nickel space. You know, there's, some nickels are better than other nickels, and not just in terms of cost and grade, which is what we're used to talking about. So this is changing really fast, and it's, and it's extremely interesting. Paul? 
Yeah, I want to sort of uh, follow up on what you mentioned about CATL. Um, I spoke with um, Waldo Perez, who's president and CEO of uh, Neolithium uh, this week. He, he received a, an $8 million investment from CTA, CATL early this year um, to help take forward their Tres Cabradas project in Argentina. And uh, one of the things he said is uh, that company, CATL, has created a $2 billion fund to fund upstream developments. So they recognize, uh, and this is, is a, a big theme. Everybody knows that the batteries and EVs are going to demand these things, but um, who's going to invest in bringing the, the minerals into, into production? We, we heard a couple of weeks ago from Elon Musk at Tesla that they're investing in Piedmont Lithium because they, they recognize that, 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 that gap, that divide. CATL recognized it as well. Um, but who else? Is Elon Musk going to be the Eric Sprott for battery minerals? Uh, Niels. Yeah, John, I just wanted to ask, I mean, you know, we know the demand for, uh, for EV and batteries is going to be massive, but I'm sort of wondering just how does this all fit in with like the bigger scope of uh, a green revolution? I mean, we are looking at a new election in the U.S., uh, potentially, uh, you know, if a new president comes in, if, if a new Congress comes in, we're looking at uh, more green energy how does this, how did, how did the, this, the tech metals sort of fit into this, into this changing environment? Yeah, that's a, that's a really great question, Niels. And I think, um, you know, in the mining space, we have to look beyond the cars. You know, the, the cars are getting a lot of attention. A lot of it's due to the, uh, the, the, the magnetism and charisma of uh, Mr. Musk. Uh, but there's a much, much bigger story here. Um, you know, the, the electrification of everything, you know, that we're looking at, uh, I think the quote was for $35 trillion to transform, de uh, decarbonize China. We're looking at, uh, you know, we, we said before that gold is positive regardless of the election outcome. A, a, a Biden, uh, a strong Biden win is extremely positive for copper. Uh, the, the estimated cost of um, preparing the, the electric, electricity grid in the US uh, for all this EV stuff, you know, for, to, for decarbonisation, is about a trillion dollars. And that's a huge stimulus, but it's a wicked amount of copper. So I think we've got to look through the car story and uh, you know, look, at the, look at it more broadly. And that tells a very, very big demand picture for metals. Um, which the big the big miners are into. BHP are all over this. Uh, yeah, Rio, uh, they've they've done their homework. They're looking at a very long term, you know, structural change in demand. Oh, the, uh, the 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 political scene in the US is really starting to this whole idea of um, energy security, critical metals is is starting to become mainstream in in US political circles. At the start of the week, uh, Benchmark Mineral Intelligence held a, a webinar um, looking at this and uh, Republican Senator Lisa Murkowski from Alaska, who is the chair of the US Committee on Energy and Natural Resources. She's also on the uh, Appropriations Committee. And she was the co-sponsor of the American Mineral Security Act. She basically said that uh, the lack of development of these minerals poses a slow motion threat to the US economy, its manufacturing sector, and its overall competitiveness on a global stage. Um, she said that uh, China certainly understands the nature of that, uh, of, of that threat because it has been investing in minerals. And uh, she's seeing increasing bipartisan support for such things in the US. However, she did say that uh, not all projects should go ahead 
and um, she was referring to, I think, your pet project that you've been mentioning uh, in recent weeks, Michael. Mm-hmm. Uh, John, uh, I wanted uh, you know I wanted to have you on because uh, talking again about uh, policy that uh, Paul just brought up, uh, there has been uh, the ongoing um, announcements uh, regarding this green revolution and uh, the next critical metal uh, that is going to be. It seemed like all through 2020 we had an announcement of metal X, metal Y that is uh, going to be considered to be strategic. Uh, can you talk about uh, these things, the impact of uh, when a government actually says that a metal is strategic yeah i mean so the u.s u.s government and, and i and i know this because i was in a uh, a, a workshop at the at rice university in the baker institute where they were starting to look at critical metals um and that was partly now there's a lot of involvement there from uh, u.s government and uh, there was a new department being created and a new secretary for uh, if you like critical metals who presented there um, and yeah, it's, it's something that's come onto their radar quite recently. It's really interesting how quickly this has happened. Um, and and you know, we're only talking about October, so a year ago from this um, you know, creating a department to an announcement in January for a strategy for critical metals and a, and a global alliance between Canada, Australia, Peru, uh, I think Ecuador's in there as well. There's, there's, a, there's a list of com- countries who are now if you like forming an alliance around critical metal supply. And it's interesting because, um, you know, it's like the good old days of the, uh, of the, the, the triple entente before first, the First World War. We, you know, we have the countries lining up. Uh, they're not lining up around colonies or they're not lining up around oil. This time they're lining up around, uh, around critical metals. So this, this is turning into a very, um, you know, sort of, I'll use the word interesting in a potential uh, threat sense because uh, we, we really see a lot of defence security now tied up with this. I think the effect of this is it brings metals, you know, not, we're not just talking about economic development and markets now, we're talking about geopolitics and uh, geopolitics and, and security. So um, the melding of, of geopolitics, uh, the conflict, the Cold War II between the US and China, I think the metals are going to get bound up in that in really interesting ways. So we're going to see the barriers between uh, what what's corporate and what's uh, what, you know what's defence slash political uh, really melt away. That's this is, and this is changing so fast. Um, you know, what is a critical metal? Well, <laughs> I think anything that's strategic uh, in the sense that it represents a point of conflict between. Uh, China and the West. Um, for Australia now, iron ore and coal are, are critical materials because they're points of geopolitical conflict. So if you like, um, you know, everything is a critical resource now because it affects our ability to, to exert power um, you know, across borders. Uh, I w- wanted to have you on uh, because of your past hat uh, working at EY. Uh, they had their study that uh, came out uh, talking about uh, social license uh, just being one of the uh, key concerns uh, for miners. Um, I was just really interested when Tesla was uh, sourcing uh, nickel uh, just uh, in terms of uh, underlying his interest right now and just making sure that this is sustainable, this is clean uh, nickel that uh, is being sourced for him. What's the number one push for that? I mean, it's he is just somebody that is actually sourcing that right now. It actually goes back to the miner. Why is he getting pushed so hard on this? Yeah, and, and um, you know, I've, I've always had this relationship with EY. I was like a subject matter expert, I guess. So 
Um, I've never, never been on, on the payroll formally, but uh, we've worked together over a long period of time just to, to clarify that. But look, you know, it's it's been really interesting to follow EY's risks survey that they do every year in the mining space because for the last three years, license to operate has been the number one risk. And, you know, it's been steadily creeping up the, up, up the charts there. So, you know, uh, mining now, the ability to get a mine operating and permitted and, and keep it operating in terms of secure supply depends on its license to operate. You know, do, do, does it actually uh, fit well with the community? Is it ethically produced? You know, what's what's its what's its carbon and environmental footprint? So I think there's a few things going on here with with, with Elon Musk and, and the, the battery um, industry generally. I think one thing they want to do is to be able to say as they produce these premium products, and it's a bit like when you when you when you go shopping down the in the supermarket, you know, that people will pay a premium for things that where they where they know the ingredients come from, and if if your coffee has a fair trade mark, we'll pay a premium for that, and it's exactly the same with the battery industry. If we know, the, you know, as consumers, that the metals come from places where you know we're happy to see them, you know, being produced. Um, preferably they have a zero carbon footprint, we'll pay a premium for that. And I think it's all part of the product strategy of premium products that, that uh, Musk is going for. So two things, guarantee of supply uh, and also the premium product. This, you know, we, metal, we talk about metals as commodities. Um, yeah, okay, we're decommodifying metals now, particularly when we're blending them into these uh, high value products like cars. Oh. And all of this is within a much broader umbrella, if you like, of the finance sector, um, which goes way back to the, the start of this century when uh, UN Secretary General Kofi Annan wrote to the CEOs of the world's major financing institutions, um, urging them to integrate ESG factors into their investment, um, investment decisions. So the push has been from leading world NGOs um, and governmental organizations to the finance sector and because they're having to report on this and um, take this into account they're pushing that down the pipeline to the companies they potentially invest in including mining companies. Uh, John? Just quickly on that there was a ripping article in the Financial Times from um, one of the executives of uh, Standard Chartered um, saying that the banks um, are going to be one of the real pushes to decarbonize and, and uh, reduce the footprint of the mining sector. And it just ties back to you, you know, your point about where do we get the capital from? We can only recycle as much capital. We're going to have to get new capital, but the banks are going to get really fussy about what they fund. They're really paying attention to footprints. So that's that, that, that article that came out yesterday, really, really good. Very, very quotable. <laughs> Uh, I just wanted to uh, circle back because uh, you made a really good point, John, about uh, copper. And then uh, obviously we've seen uh, the number one and number two uh, gold uh, miners uh, talking about their copper or what uh, what they're interested in. So you have Barrick, for instance, saying that it has been on the hunt for copper deals. And then I did see something come from Reuters where Newmont's Tom Popper was talking about Tom Palmer, not Popper, was talking that about one fifth of its metals produced by the end of the decade is going to be from copper. Now, we're going from uh, very hot metals right now, but uh, let's uh, just mention uh, Pearl Diamonds, which has really been in the doghouse for this year, but maybe we're starting to see a turnaround. 
Asian markets uh, seem to be opening up uh, due to better COVID-19 controls. And Beer said that it saw a 57% jump in sales in September site when selected buyers, viewers were able to purchase uh, goods already produced by De Beers. Uh, recall that the Chinese uh, renminbi, uh, the currency is strengthening right now in that market. And also there seems to be better controls over COVID. So you see a strong Chinese consumer, you see people that are able to get out, you also see Christmas and holiday shopping that is hearing there. So maybe we're finally seeing a turnaround for diamonds. Uh, diamonds also has been cutting its production. Uh, you would see that uh, De Beers announced uh, that it dropped diamond production 4% year on year when it was uh, talking about its quarterly. Also in May, uh, the Russian mining giant Alrosa cut production by 2.5%. Now, our figure of the week, that's a number that was meaningful to our guests. We always start with our guests. John, what was your number of the week? My number of the week is 4,000, and it's a big number, and it's the number of, uh, of tons of copper that goes into producing uh, one uh, gigawatt of, of solar energy capacity. Um, What's one gigawatt? Well, it's not the largest solar farm that's going around. The Australians are planning a 10 gigawatt, but it just really emphasizes how much uh, copper is going to go into the decarbonization of the world economy. Thank you. Uh, Niels, what's your number? Uh, mine's uh, above 7 trillion. Any, any guesses? Well, I think that was uh, one of the latest stimulus numbers, if I, if I saw correctly in a, in a, in a report. No, that is now the size of the Fed balance sheet. It's, oh. I, heard, I heard two numbers, uh, 7.3 and 7.2 trillion. You know, we can, we can forgive a, a couple billion here and there. Mm -hmm. um, so above 7 trillion. And this is why gold just, you know, you have to be bullish on gold. This balance sheet is only going to keep going higher in the, in the near term. And, you know that means higher, higher, higher precious metals prices, it's, 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 $7 trillion. It's, it's such an interesting one. Um, I saw a, a really interesting, a great chart on just how frequently the debt ceiling gets raised by the U S now. Um, you know, it, for the first half of the century, it happened once. Uh, and, then it, and then nowadays it happens every, every two or three years. Um, they'll get to the point like my son does with his mountain bike ha habit where the, um, the debt ceiling has to be raised every six months. <laughs> Paul, what's your number? My uh, number is 320 million. Well, I've got several this week. My first one, uh, 320 million, more precisely, 320 million kilometers. And that's the distance the Osiris Rex probe traveled to collect a rock sample from the Benno asteroid. Um, <laughs> Another one I've got that uh, just really struck me as interesting. doesn't really have anything to do with mining, but um, here's how, how many brands do you think Coca-Cola has and how many of them is it killing off? I, well, I, I, I remember Thousands, seeing the headline hundreds? that tab is going to be disappearing. So, Well, apparently Coca-Cola has got 400 brands. Wow. And of those, wow. it's going to be killing off 200. <laughs> Down to a cool 200. I still can't name them all. <laughs> I can three. <laughs> given our uh, given our uh, background, I was uh, hoping to find uh, one last tab in the uh, in the uh, supermarket. Uh, apparently, they're phasing that out uh, because it's always had a metal taste to it. 
uh, which uh, some people love, but uh, most people find uh, distasteful. And that kind of goes back when they're actually trying to figure out uh, how to uh, make, uh, make, uh, make, uh, make, uh, make uh, colas without a, um, uh, without sugar in them and uh, their early recipes. Uh, project uh, the product's been around for what at least over 40 years hasn't it yeah it that long to decide to can it <laughs> my number of the week and i'm gonna be uh, sticking with uh, john's theme and uh, that is 73 percent 73 percent and that's according to bmo a poll of lme week participants voting on their favorite metal who overwhelmingly chose copper the metal with the best exposure over the coming year by a long stretch with 75, 73% picking it as a favored long. That's it for us. Paul, when's your conference? It's on November the 10th to the 13th of November. Yeah. And what's that conference again? The Columbia Gold Symposium. Kiko is a media partner for CSE Mining Over Canada, a cross-country trip from Atlantic Canada to BC to Canadian North to gather unique perspectives on Canadian mining, explore regional national issues, and celebrate the achievements in groundbreaking industry. Google Mining Over Canada to learn more and sign up for alerts. We're going to reprise our interview with Peter Hugg, head of Precious Metals Division here at Kiko, where he talks about elections, stimulus, and how that's going to play out with gold. John, it's been a pleasure. Can you tell us how we can follow more and learn more about what you're doing? Yeah, follow my uh, the Research Institute, BRIM, uh, that's B-R-I-M-M dot U-B-C dot C-A. Uh, that's, that's, that's going like a, a rocket at the moment. We're doing great things with a lot of companies. Uh, I'm also on LinkedIn. I'm also on, on Twitter. So uh, that's John at U-B-C, uh, capital B. And uh, yep, lots of stuff going on. Been a real pleasure to be here today. A lot of fun. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Now our conversation with Peter Hug. He's Peter Hug, head of Precious Metals here at Kiko. Peter, welcome back. Good to be here, Michael. It looks like gold is still waiting for positive news on the stimulus talks. Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, I think both the markets, uh, the equity markets and and the, and the metals markets are hoping for a positive result in, in some kind of stimulus package uh, before the election, it becoming less likely day by day. Um, but it will come, whether it comes before the election or after the election. I don't think it'll matter who wins the election. There will be a significant stimulus package to follow. Uh, whether or not it happens before the election is, uh, is just uh, it's a flip of a coin right now. Uh, let's talk about uh, that likely outcome. Um, there could be an instance where you're looking at uh, the Republicans retaining the uh, Senate while you'd uh, have uh, the... Um, you'd have uh, the presidency and uh, the House uh, still going to the Democrats. Uh, wouldn't that be a concern in terms of actually there being a dampener on uh, actually having a stimulus pass? Uh, it's possible Biden might be able to do something uh, if he wins the presidency by executive order. Uh, but yes, that would be a, uh, a sort of a uh, a worst case scenario where you have uh, a government that is gridlocked uh, and uh, the Republicans refuse to uh, uh, to endorse uh, a stimulus package that the Democrats will put forward. Uh, but I think all of the congressmen are, are pressured right now. I mean, every state has a, a surge in COVID. Uh, the economies uh, on a state level are, are struggling. And uh, 
from from a U.S. economics perspective, uh, and certainly from a stock market perspective, uh, I, I think a stimulus is absolutely necessary. Uh, and they'll come together on some type of a package, uh, no matter who the president is. Uh, it's just a matter of the size of the package and, uh, you know, where the funds are going to be channeled. What's been interesting about this gold bull is, is, is that we have seen a gold uh, trading with stocks. Uh, you did say something interesting last week where you're, or earlier this month, I should say, where you're seeing a little bit, bit of divergence between how gold was trading and how the stock market was trading. <laughs> Well, they've been fairly consistent. There have been the odd days where they've diverged, but uh, you know, today, just just for an example, uh, when you know when the equity markets went into positive territory, the uh, you know the market, uh, the metals markets rebounded from the sell-off this morning. You know, I think the market is just overall extremely nervous, uh, and you know, when you get this type of nervousness in the market um, without something very concrete on the stimulus side coming out. Uh, you know, there's just a tendency to move to cash. I mean, from a from a market perspective on gold, uh, you know, we're still trading in the range. It's been trading in sort of the 1875-1925 range for the past three to four weeks, uh, and um, you know, and I think that range will uh, will remain, uh, you know, until after the election. And then, depending on who wins the election, there's going to be a knee-jerk reaction, and. Uh, and you know the the markets will find their path depending on who wins and uh, you know how the house and the senate set up uh, you know then the the fund managers will be able to make decisions on a more rational basis as to what they expect uh, to see over the next 3 to 6 months and until then it's just the uncertainty and you know when uncertainty occurs uh, again, most investors tend to at least park some of their assets into cash uh, just in case there is a, a sell-off both in the equity and in the metals markets uh, after the election. Uh, so they have some uh, dry powder to, uh, you know, average down. Peter, how is physical supply? Uh, the, the gold supplies are still uh, relatively constant. Uh, Buffalo's, Eagles, Maple Leafs are in uh, ready supply. Premiums are uh, similar to pre-COVID. Uh, some of the smaller units, one ounce gold bars, uh, fractionals are still uh, hard to get. Uh, I, I mean, they're coming onto the market, but in very small quantities. Uh, as soon as they come up on dealer sites, they're gone. Uh, so those premiums are still fairly exaggerated from pre-COVID uh, levels. Uh, on the uh, silver market, uh, Supplies are coming in again, not to, to to the extent that the dealers would like to see the supplies. Um, Hundred ounce silver bars are are generally available now. Um, silver eagles, um, somewhat available. Uh, the twenty twenty ones are are scheduled to come out uh, in January with a new design. Uh, so dealers are trying to figure out how, uh, you know, what type of inventory to, to accumulate in 2020s uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, sort of max, max that out to the perspective that uh, move those coins away as the 2021s come onto the market early next year. So that there is some jockeying around uh, on, on silver product. Um, silver maple leaves, uh, again, are still on allocation. So the market demand uh, with this consolidation over the past four weeks has, uh, has dropped considerably from the retail investor perspective. So the supplies that are on the market are meeting the demand uh, and premiums are coming down. 
Uh, Silver Eagles, uh, last I looked, retail were available in the $354 range. Um, when you compare that to $12 two months ago, uh, Silver Maples are in the south of $3, depending on quantity, uh, up to about $350. So the premiums are starting uh, to resemble what they were pre-COVID uh, for silver coins. But supplies, if you're looking for larger amounts, are still uh, are still questionable. Peter, we're still waiting to see the outcome of the selection, but uh, you're still a long-term bull on precious metals. Uh, absolutely. I mean, it doesn't, in my opinion, doesn't matter who gets elected as president. Uh, there's not going to be an option uh, from uh, from the government's perspective, but to uh, to create a, a significant stimulus package um, coming uh, uh, coming out of the election. Uh, and you know, in, in the neighborhood of what we saw earlier this year, but certainly at least at, at sort of a two trillion dollar mark, uh, no doubt in my mind that no, no matter who the president is, uh, that that uh, stimulus package is going to be presented, and I think that's going to be very bullish the metals. My concern, uh, if I had a concern on this market, my concern would be uh, a contested election, uh, which would be negative for the stock market, and. Uh, if the stock market takes a hit, uh, there are analysts indicating a 5 to 15% drop uh, uh, if it's a contested election. Uh, I would consider that a buying opportunity. Uh, but in that context, uh, I could see the metals reacting similarly as they did in March, where the first reaction would be down as people raise cash. But I think any drop in this market, uh, especially in, in the metals markets, uh, should be viewed as a buying opportunity. Uh, I see highs, the highs we saw this year, easily taken out uh, no later than first quarter 2021. Peter, thank you very much. You're welcome.